welcome. Welcome, dear ones, to Seattle Mennonite Church and to our gathering of worship here on our computer screens. Whatever these months of pandemic and isolation may bring, we know and we claim that the Holy Spirit is still weaving us together as a community. And we want to claim this time of physical distance from one another, not simply as something to endure, but as something that we can experience and share together. This week is the second Sunday of Christmas. Christmas tide stretches on as you may know if from no other thing from uh, that popular Christmas song, the 12 days of Christmas, Christmas tide stretches on for 12 days and it's in the church a sacred season to rest in God's coming for longer than just one day. So that we have a season of welcoming God among us. And that provides space too for a slow nuance to understanding what it means to experiencing God coming to us. Today is the second Sunday of Christmas, but it's also the 10th day of Christmas. And while I can't promise you 10 lords a leaping on this 10th day of Christmas, I can promise you the boy Jesus in the temple, the story of the boy Jesus in the temple. And I can also promise you Sarah Augustine, our own Sarah Augustine, bringing us a word on that story, preaching the message for us this morning. Sarah, it's so wonderful to have you preaching for us today. Thank you and welcome. We worship this morning on the land of first peoples, wherever we are. And here in Seattle, where many of us are, we are on the unceded lands of the Duwamish tribe, a people who have been here long before state and country, a people who are still alive and active in this city. And we continue to support their efforts to be federally recognized as a tribal nation. Many of us contribute real rent in gratitude for their faithful stewarding of this land for long before many of our colonizer ancestors arrived. We are going to begin in song and we will be singing the song, Songs of Praise the Angels Sing. And for this song, we have the wonderful opportunity to hear our own selves sing this in a previous year. So I'm going to share the music on the screen um, and invite you to remain muted and to sing along.
I invite, invite you to join me in the call to worship that is printed in your chat box. Some want to keep a gospel so disembodied that it doesn't get involved at all in the world it must save. Together, Christ is now in history. Christ is in the womb of the people. Together, Christ is now bringing about the new heavens and the new earth. Amen, and may it be so. As we light the Christ candle again this week, we acknowledge that we both witness to and participate in God's vision for a just peace for all creation. Through Advent, we experienced a season of watching and waiting for the coming of the incarnate one. And with Christmas, we welcome that one, Emmanuel, God with us, the one who came both proclaiming and inaugurating God's reign of justice and peace for all peoples. Together, we long for a just peace. We pray for a just peace. We choose to live for a just peace. Peace be with you all and also with you. For our children's time this morning, I am going to share uh, our scripture story, but in Bible storybook form. This, this is Children of God, a storybook Bible by Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Archbishop Desmond Tutu was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1984 for his lifelong struggle to bring equality, justice, and peace to his native country of South Africa. In 1986, he was elected Archbishop of Cape Town, which was the highest position in the Anglican Church in Southern Africa. And he wrote this storybook Bible for children. And what I'm going to do is actually share an audio of him reading our story for today. Our story for today is Jesus goes to Jerusalem with his parents. So I will hold up the beautiful illustration and let us listen. all of my tech ready. We're going to listen to Archbishop Desmond Tutu read this story. Jesus goes to Jerusalem with his parents. God makes Jesus wise. Luke 2. One day when Jesus was 12, he traveled with his family to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of the Passover. He was so excited 
that he kept asking his parents, Are we there yet? I can't wait to see the temple again. When the celebration was over, the families from Jesus' village began their journey home. The children were all running and playing together along the way. Mary and Joseph thought Jesus was with his friends. But when they looked for him, he was nowhere to be found. Mary and Joseph were terribly worried. We must have left him behind in Jerusalem, said Mary. For three days they searched for Jesus in the crowded streets and markets of the city. At last they went to the temple. And there was Jesus, sitting with the teachers, amazing them with his wisdom and how well he understood God's love. Mary was very upset. We have been searching for you everywhere. Why were you searching for me? Jesus replied gently. Didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? Jesus had realized that God was his true father. Mary's eyes grew wide and she never forgot that moment. Jesus grew into a man both strong and wise. Dear God, help me to speak with your wisdom. Dear God, help me to speak with Jesus your wisdom. Jesus is baptized. What? Let us now hear the scripture story again from the Bible. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 41 to 52. Now every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, why were you searching for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. Let us sing together, infant holy, infant lowly.
Again, welcome to you, Sarah Augustine. You are not a guest among us. You are one of us. And uh, it's a real joy to have you bring us the word this morning. May God bless the words of your mouth and the meditations of all our hearts. Amen. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. I want to begin um, by acknowledging the first peoples of the land where I sit today. At this moment, I am in my home, on the homeland of the Confederated Bands and Tribes of the Yakima Nation, um, the Yakima Reservation. So in our scripture this morning, um, Jesus is a youth who's just 12 years old. And he stays behind in Jerusalem as his parents return um, to Nazareth. And because they're traveling with friends and family by caravan, they don't realize Jesus isn't with them for their first day of travel. When they realize he isn't with them, they rush back to Jerusalem to search for him. And I can imagine um, how Mary must have felt. Um, her son, still a child, is all alone in the city for days. Uh, my own son, Micah, is 12 years old, this very same age. So when his parents finally find Jesus, three days later, <laughs> he is completely unapologetic. His mother asked Jesus, how could you treat me and your father so disrespectfully? Uh, I can completely understand that feeling. And Jesus retorts, hey, you know, it was foolish for you to search for me. You should have known where I would be. In my father's house, he's stating the obvious and seemingly unaware or at least insensitive to the social implications of denying Jesus as his father. So I'm probably not the only one that's like, whoa, that's tough. You know, Mary's just said, you know, your father and I were searching for you. And he's like, what? I was here all along. You should have known that. Not a sense of humility or gee mom I'm so sorry I caused you any trouble I mean just kind of unrepentant for three days he sits with teachers at the center of religious and cultural life the authority of his people he questions his elders and he answers their questions and he is speaking with authority that is apparently unearned in this story, Jesus has a special status as a young person. He's able to see clearly and speak clearly because he's not yet a man. He's on the margins of his society. He doesn't yet have a stake in society. He doesn't have wealth or reputation or position to protect. And so he has a special status as a youth. As we are educated and socialized in the paradigm that surrounds us all, its walls become invisible to us. This paradigm shapes our understanding of reality. We justify to ourselves why our systems are just, or at least necessary. The youth Jesus is free of these justifications. He feels free to question the authorities, shamelessly. Like Greta Thunberg, the Swedish environmental activist who is challenging world leaders today to take immediate action 
against climate change. Greta Thurberg is not yet in a position to justify to herself or others why coal, oil, natural gas are necessary because they fuel our economy. She just sees that fossil fuels are destroying the earth and all the earth's life support systems. Last year, she told world leaders to end what she calls the fossil fuel madness. Huge investments in fossil fuel exploration and enormous subsidies for coal, for coal, oil, and gas use. Anything less than an end to fossil fuels, she said, would be a betrayal against life itself. Business as usual is turning into a crime against humanity. So Greta can see clearly. It's sometimes hard to hear the voices of those with this special status who are outside our systems. It's tempting to dismiss these discordant voices. We tell ourselves they don't understand the way the world works. They're naive and idealistic. Or commonly when it comes to youth, they're rude and demanding. How dare Jesus blow off his parents to sit there and question the authorities? How dare Greta? A child, shame us all by calling world leaders to account. But we must listen to these voices, to Jesus sitting in the temple with his elders and betters. Greta is able to see clearly, free of encumberment by the systems. She isn't fixated on security, beholden to employers, investments, and financial systems. I have learned to listen to the voices from the margins, working with youth in conflict with the criminal justice system here in my own community in central Washington. So many of you know, I direct a dispute resolution center in Yakima, the city of Yakima. And our mission is to provide um, communities, individuals and families with the tools they need to resolve conflict peacefully themselves. So self-determination is a core value that we hold at the Dispute Resolution Center. And recently we've partnered with the Yakima Police Department to reduce violent crime in our community. So we've been working on this for, for some time, um, trying to make ourselves available um, and wading into the place of deepest conflict in our community, which is um, gang violence and gun violence related to gang activity. We live in a very violent um, county. There were 31 homicides last year in Yakima County. Um, and just for comparison, there were 55 homicides in King County. Um, and so that is in Yakima, one murder per 8,054 people. Whereas in King County, that's one murder per 39,918 people. At the Dispute Resolution Center, as we've entered into relation, relationship with the Yakima Police Department, um, we reach out to youth and young adults who are at the highest risk of being killed by gun violence or being incarcerated for participating in gun violence. While the police and criminal justice system offer incarceration as a means of removing violence from our community, 
we at the Dispute Resolution Center with our community partners offer youth and young adults opportunity to exit relations with the criminal justice system. We ask them what they need to stop participating in crime and we attempt to give it to them, whatever it is that they need. Our message to youth at risk is this, we need you and your brilliance. We want you in our community. We don't want for you to die and we don't want for you to be incarcerated. Tell us what you need to stop participating in violence and we will give it to you. I think of myself as being a voice from the margins. I'm an indigenous woman. I grew up in the underclass. I live on a reservation. But actually, I'm a woman of privilege. I'm educated. I have authority as the leader of an organization that is in relationship with the authorities, the police, the courts, the Department of Justice, prosecutors. As a faculty in a university criminal justice program for seven years, my ideas about fairness and justice match the structures that typecast children as hardened killers. I believe that just a quarter of the youth we approached in our community would opt into our program or maybe half at the most. But actually nearly every youth we have approached has opted into our program. This surprised me. My perceptions are colored by TV shows like Law and Order, um, the evening news. More importantly, I think that before I became involved with them, I didn't know anything about these children in my community. I'm being schooled now by young women and men who participate in gang activity. In his dissertation on liberating children and youth, John Braun uses the character of Ishmael to represent children typecast as reprobates. Ishmael is the son born to Abraham by his wife's maid. Once his legitimate son, Isaac, is born, Ishmael is sent into the desert to die. Unlike the favored son, Ishmael is cast aside without inheritance, security, or prominence. John Braun points out the name Ishmael means God hears. As in the Abrahamic story, the youth I'm coming to know are rejected by our society. Many are the offspring of undocumented immigrants. Unlike their portrayal in shows like Miami Vice, which is the one that I grew up with and that dates me a little bit, but many of you probably remember that one, um, or Prime Suspect, that one probably dates me too. The youth I serve live in poverty. They're not driving around in expensive cars and live in the high life. I didn't really understand this until I began to enter their homes. I have entered homes comparable to those I have seen in slums in the developing world. No heat, no electricity, infested with vermin and bedbugs, multiple families crowded into a small space, inadequate food. Our program at the Dispute Resolution Center attempts to link the families of youth we serve to safety net programs. It's just one of the things that we do at first, we assumed that these programs existed and that many families lacked maybe the sophistication or the willingness to access them. I've been shocked to learn that most programs that we have in our safety net do not serve undocumented people. 
In one home sheltering three children under the age of 12, I could not find any assistance to install windows in a house that had no windows. Literally all the windows in the house had been shot out. I couldn't find even one program to repair the furnace. So this is a family with children and elders living in it, facing winter with no heat or even protection. With school closure, the children living there had no access to internet to attend virtual classes or even regular meals public schools provided prior to COVID. Both parents were disabled. When undocumented workers are injured or disabled, their children have access to few, if any, services. The youth we are in relationship with are recruited by criminal organizations to sell drugs and commit shootings. I've also been shocked to learn how little they are paid for doing these things. Many youths give all of their earnings to their families. This year, my staff took each child that we serve shopping at Walmart just prior to Christmas. Many filled their baskets with laundry detergent, socks, shampoo, necessities, rather than video games or toys. The children we serve live in fear and suspicion. They live in fear of the violence of the street and fear of authorities. These youth are schooling me about social structures I thought I understood. They are typecast as reprobate, hardened criminals. Once again, the most vulnerable are punished for the sins of our society. But God hears. Do we? Can we hear these youth who have a special status? like Jesus or Greta Thuberg, those from the margins, outside the lines of legitimate structures. I am learning that what I have labeled as bad choices are often not choices at all. I'm learning that self-determination is a privilege. I'm learning that our collective solution for addressing violence is to villainize the most vulnerable. Don't misunderstand me. Many of the children I serve are trigger pullers. Like child soldiers in Sudan, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and Sierra Leone, they are recruited and trained to commit violence. Our collective unwillingness as a nation to address gross injustice in our current immigration policy is resulting in violence and death. Jesus, the youth, sits in the temple in Luke chapter 2. Just two chapters later in chapter 4, Jesus, the man, goes into the desert, is tempted, and comes back to Nazareth to speak his mandate. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed him, he says, to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Today, Jesus says to those assembled in the temple, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. His community is so offended by his audacity in speaking with authority, they want to throw him off a cliff, literally. His voice is clear and unencumbered. Consistent with his mandate, I am praying for the recovery of my sight and for the sight of our nation. May it be so.
Thank you, Sarah. <sighs> Let us hold all the words, all the wisdom for, the, for a moment. So we imagine ourselves sitting at the feet of our elders. What are the lessons that we've learned about change, about transformation, about restoring justice, finding peace, caring for the least of these in our community. We think particularly of the youth in Yakima. Lauren's gonna be playing a tune now. And uh, before we go into prayers, I uh, want to invite you to consider your wishes, your hopes, your dreams, uh, and, and enter those words into the chat box. What are your hopes for the new year? What are your intentions? And let's have a chat storm on that as Lauren plays. As you continue to add to the chat box, I will begin our prayer and read our wishes and hopes for the new year. God of new life, God of life made new. We begin this new year as we ended the last, embraced by your spirit of love, your presence of peace, your gentle power. We leave behind the old year with prayers of gratitude for the love we have known, 
with prayers for mercy in the pain we have experienced. We release now the disappointments of the past year and pray for your peace. Your peace will calm the fears that we carry. Lead us now into the abundant life of the new year. Give us eyes to glimpse your presence in each moment. Give us ears to hear the quiet promptings of your spirit. Give us hearts open to the joy and the pain of the lives that surround us. We bring to you the prayers of those beloved to us, of our communities, of all your creation. Today, we pray especially for Joyce, Andy, and family after Joyce's sister-in-law, Donna, died in Spokane this past week after suffering from COVID. We pray especially for Les and their children and grandchildren, and for all of Donna's family, the Dorsings, who are grieving. Give them peace and comfort as they experience great loss. For all those out there unknown to us who are suffering alone, we ask for comfort and prayers. We pray for our neighbors in Lake City, businesses whose buildings and livelihoods were consumed by fire this week, a devastating fire that wiped out a whole lot of businesses. May they receive comfort and support from our community as they experience grief and face huge decisions about rebuilding or releasing. May we be good neighbors in this time of immense loss. We lift up the entire community of the Oaks Shelter and the surrounding neighborhood in Shoreline, those who are preparing the space, those who are managing the programming and funding and staffing, those who will soon seek shelter and home under its roof. May it be a safe place. May it indeed be a place of respite and renewed hope for finding housing for all. We hold in our hearts and prayers the whole community of God's Little Acre as they release Jonathan and embrace Catherine as new program director this week. May Catherine find a home in this community, satisfaction in her labors, and the support she will need to be sustained for a long time to come. We are so grateful for her initiative, her inspiration and the way she so deeply cares for our people. We pray fervently for our own Jonathan as he releases the Godsville Laker community into another's care and transitions fully to his labors with the Oaks Shelter this week. Grant him grace unexpected gifts of joy, glimmers of affirmation that this path is blessed and the companions he needs to be sustained in this new place of ministry. Thanks be to God. 
and turning to the chat storm. Thank you for your offerings. <sighs> Megan is inspired by Sarah's message and she wants to listen to the voices of our young leaders who are who see clearly and are unencumbered. Thanks be to God. Ron Clausen hopes for peace and an end to this COVID-19 pandemic. We pray that we will soon be all vaccinated and be able to be, gather, be together again. From Anna Elena for her unemployed family members, may they find jobs. From Pete, we pray for a peaceful transition of power as we enter a very dangerous time starting on Wednesday and culminating on January 20th. Hold our leaders, God. May there be wisdom in the response to outrage, to acts of violence, From Jennifer, she prays for the well-being in her own mind and body and spirit for all extended family members struggling with mental health conditions. With Candace and Karis, the movement of wealth to create a more just distribution. With Beth, we pray for a deeper connection to God, to self, to others, and especially with those that she feels little in common. With Elizabeth to listen and support the young in our changing world. With Jeanette that we may be sustained to continue to work for just peace, including radical justice in our world and find regular rest and rejuvenation to do so. And with Via and Ian for the self-image and confidence of youth in our community. They have a special status and may they know that in their hearts and may they feel the courage to step up and we, Support their emergence as wise and wonderful youth made in God's image. Together with Isaac and Gray, we offer prayers for Isaac's sister and several members of her husband's family who have COVID-19. Thank you for all of those wishes and intentions, hopes and dreams for 2021. Pray that we will have the courage to question authorities and think critically and take action, especially on fossil fuel madness. May our own self-determination be ignited as inspired by your peace and justice. May our youth be empowered to find their voice and speak truth to world leaders. May we support them in developing courage and insight for living new ways. 
May we find ways together to challenge the wealth in this country and care for people in poverty, especially our youth. God of new life, God of life made new, embrace us with your spirit of love, your presence of peace, your gentle power. May we glimpse your presence in each moment. May we hear the quiet promptings of your spirit. May our hearts open to the lives that surround ours this day and every day. Spirit of God, anoint us. Amen. Amen. We are grateful for the many gifts that each of you offer to our congregation. And I think this morning of Sarah's gift of preaching that she has shared with us. There are so many ways that each one of you also gift this community out of the generosity of, of your own giftedness. We are grateful for all of those gifts. Some of those gifts are monetary and we are grateful for the means to collect our offerings digitally, even despite technical issues which we continue to experience on our website. So if you are one who has been giving digitally via our website, which is in our chat box, and you run into troubles, um, be assured that we are still working to try to work that out. And in the meantime, you may have seen an email from Lee Murray that if you wanted some a year-end contribution to count for 2020, you need to email her, lee at seattlemennonite.org, um, and you might have to find your old checkbook somewhere. Does anybody still have a checkbook? <laughs> anyway, yes, uh, Jennifer does. Lee will work with you um, to ensure that your, your monetary contributions can, can get in. We are going to close our worship this morning in song. And so I will share, hail the blessed morn, and I'm grateful to welcome Lauren and Jen to lead us in this song. And hopefully my microphone won't cut out halfway through. Apologies for that. I don't know what happened there. Hail the blessed morn.
Dear ones, the God who hears goes with you. The God of the boy Jesus, the God of Greta Thunberg, the God of all younger ones who are free to challenge authorities, that is the God who empowers us to also hear. May we see clearly, may we listen fully. Bless you, dear ones. The God who hears goes with you. Amen. <laughs>